Hey, this morning I want to um, just begin, well, I just want to teach into uh, this ongoing theme of the kingdom of God, but in particular I want this morning to zero in on one aspect of what it looks like when there's a people who live together under the generosity of King Jesus and the power that um, comes as, with, uh, that gets noticed of a people living under King Jesus. I mean, just uh, this last month of June, we as a people following King Jesus, just out of thanksgiving, not because we have to, not because we want to, not because someone's bending our arm or it would be, you know, from false motivation, just but because God invited us to bring an offering of thanksgiving to him because he is good and he loves us. We just saw near $10,000 released to be able to partner with what is going on in God's heart as his people under King Jesus for the benefit of others. For the benefit of others. Some people we may never get to see unless you go and join in things like, you know, the Mad Hatter's Tea Party or, 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 or serving on, uh, you know, Wednesday through Fridays at the Mercy Centre or, um, you know, jumping on the, on the bread run team uh, the, a few nights of the week. Um, there's, often we don't actually get to see, but when we do see the kingdom of God breaking in, what we see is this powerful, powerful work called devotion and um, and it's not just you know devotion as in um, that's a nice feeling word but devotion in terms of nuts and bolts practical lifestyle of following King Jesus together as his people and um, if so if you have your Bible get it ready or if you've got your your app get it ready Um, we're going to go to Acts 2 And um, we're going to read a little bit about the early church in a moment. But today I want to talk about how as Jesus' people, the church, we get to live into an alternative reality than the one that our world says is true. We get to live into, as with Jesus as king, we get to live into a kingdom reality that's authored by Jesus. And it's one that's clearly marked with a devotion, and it's a devotion clearly directed. It's from God, but it, it, it doesn't just land on an individual. It lands on a people, for a people, to a people. And, um, and when we often read the Bible, we often read it in the singular we often read it like it's a, it's a personal letter to, to me, the individual. And it is. Uh, with the help of the Holy Spirit, there's that devotional aspect of where God catches our personal attention and draws us to an invita- invitation of a relationship with Jesus as King. Um, but this book is written to a people. And it's always written to peoples. And, um, and it's always about groups of people trying to follow God as king. And so this morning, this idea of devotion that I want to talk about is actually the love of God breaking into our life for the sake of the other. And somehow in the mystery of all of that, we get edified individually. We find our place, we find our purpose, we find our, our space, and we get to really run hard in that lane that God's designed us for. Um, 
There was a German pastor and theologian, many of you may have read his stuff over, over the years, but um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, German theologian and pastor, he was, um, he was imprisoned for his faith and he was an ardent opponent to um, the Nazi forces and Hitler during World War II. And <clears throat> as a result, he was imprisoned. And then just as the um, Nazi forces were about to lose their campaign, um, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung, sentenced and hung for his opposition to uh, Hitler and Nazi Germany. But in, all, in his time in the prison camps, um, <clears throat> uh, Dietrich, he, he wrote um, lots of works and um, letters, uh, letters from prison and so forth. You can get a hold of some of that stuff, although it's out of print and a bit hard to find these days, but you can get some of that stuff. But he wrote a book called Life Together. So when, you, when, when you're put into a prison and you re, you're taken out of what you would take as everyday given of relationship and opportunity and isolated into a prison, all of a sudden the value of not having that that relationship escalates because it's like we, it's been taken away from you. So it, the value and the priority of actually being able to fellowship together escalates. And he says this, he says, Therefore let him who until now has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare it as a grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in a community with Christian brethren. Just You, you can hear the high value in that statement that Dietrich's making for the life of belonging to a fellowship of believers. And so I want to, if you've got your Bible there now, just grab a hold of it, Acts chapter 2. If you don't have one, it's just on the screen up here, Acts 2. Um, and um, let's just read this out. <clears throat> There's a typo in the very first word. Did you notice that? I just did. Good on you. <laughs> Good on you, Vaughan. First day back. The coffee hadn't kicked in, obviously. Um, <clears throat> it should say, they. They. So the context here is um, the 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 um, the Holy Spirit has just begun being poured out, the fulfilment of of God's promise that there would be a people who carry the spirit of the kingdom upon them, and that they would do the messianic work of God through the earth has now been poured out, and as a result of the spirit being poured out, two a few things happen. But the first one is the first public preaching takes place from Peter, he starts proclaiming, hey guys, this is it, this is what we've all longed for, the inbreaking of the kingdom is now here with the outpouring of the Spirit, and now everyone can participate in what God's doing as he's reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. And he not only does that, but he preaches this great message about the priority and the high place of Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, as, as King and Saviour. And as a result of his preaching, all these people around him are going, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? What do we do with this Jesus? And then as a result of that, Peter cracks this great line at them. Well, he says in verse 38 in the lead up, he says, well, it's, 
Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so he's, he's basically saying, turn your life over to King Jesus. Let King Jesus be Lord and Master of all. And as, and as a result of that, as people are doing that, even more of the Holy Spirit starts pouring out on people and the, as they're coming into the kingdom. And then what happens is, as the Spirit's being poured out, because everyone, every Christian I know is running around the place saying, God, we need more of your Spirit. We need more of your Spirit. Well, here's what happens when you start saying, God, we need more of your Spirit being poured out on the people of the kingdom. Here's what happens. Verse 42, they devoted themselves. This is what it looks like with people under the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out by turning to King Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and every, and enjoying uh, the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit has his way among the people of King Jesus. People eat together, they pray together, they fellowship together and they allow their lives to be taught by King Jesus. But the thing I wanted just to pick up on this morning is this word devotion. Whoop, let's go back one. There we go, devotion. Now, John, how would I say that in the Greek? Sorry? Okay, I'll have a go. Proskatero. Uh, very phonetic, very phonetic on my behalf. There you go. There's my Greek this morning. Um, <clears throat> but this word, devotion, they devoted themselves, meant that it, it has, it's, it's a very strong word. It's a, it's a very, um, it's, it's a word that's got a lot of steel in its spine, if I could say it like that. It's got a lot of strength to its fibre. It's a word that has this sense of, and I've just listed a few um, descriptions there, to adhere to or to be constant about. Well, what were they constant about? Well, they were constant about fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. They, they were ardent about it. They were steadfast about it. They persevered. They didn't faint in other words, they didn't, uh, you know, succumb to, oh, I don't feel like it. Or in, the, in, the, in their real context, as they're writing this, it was more than just about how they personally felt. It was the fact that they were now this, um, as, as, as um, Rome would see them, they were this threatening cult. These Jesus people were a cult. And they were to be very, you know, very cautious of them. Don't let them have too much sway because they'll follow this Jesus of Nazareth um, who 
the rumour is, has suspiciously somehow got out of the grave and now they're saying he's alive. And if word of that gets out, then Rome is threatened. And more than Rome, the Jewish leaders of the day, they were really pinged about this one. They, they were trying to shut this Jesus cult down. So in the face of their context, let alone their emotional stuff, how they were feeling about being together, they were ardent about being together in the face of all of the difficulty. And they were courageous about it as well. And they, what, they devoted themselves to, and it's interesting, it, says, it doesn't just say to fellowship, it says to the fellowship. And the reason why it's the fellowship, because it's, it's in reference to a people fellowshipping. Not just the idea of fellowship, but the people fellowshipping together. And so that word fellowship, koinonia, means communion, intimacy, joint participation, joint contribution. They devoted themselves courageously, steadfastly, with perseverance, with consistency, um, without fainting, not with knowing all of the context going on around that, to communion with each other, to intimacy with each other, and jointly participating with God and each other in what Jesus was doing to save the world. And not only did they participate in it together, they contributed together. They I don't I want to bring me and I want to bring all I've got and I want to bring it to the table for the sake of the kingdom advancing in the earth. This is what devotion looks like. Devotion is not in this sense taking your bible and going and sitting in a nice quiet place on a mountainside and waiting for the Lord to speak to you through the scriptures. That's not this context of devotion. This context of devotion is I Above all else, I am ardently giving myself under the power of the Spirit to being with and for and contributing and participating with what God is doing with his people and through his people to the world. We, the church, the Jesus people, we get to live in a community like... um, like uh, Bonhoeffer pointed out, we should be saying, thank you, God, that there's somewhere in this place, on this planet, where I can get together with people of, of, of your kind, Lord Jesus, where there is a place where I can both find communion, intimacy, I find a place where I can participate with who you've made me to be, and I have a contribution to bring to that. You all have a contribution to bring. Um, last Sunday, you may remember, if you weren't here, Karen Jacobs gave a great teaching on we need each other. If, if you didn't get a hold of that one, jump online and, and get a hold of it. Have a listen. I had a listen to it this week while I was doing my gardening and, um, and listening to it. Um, it was just a great, great teaching. And um, Karen really just invited us as a people to the to the experience of living life together and give and, and gave some very practical um, runway for you to be able to get to that and participate in that. Um, so get online and have a listen to that teaching. It was good stuff. But um, you may remember also that 
as, as Karen was teaching, she gave the end story where she grabbed the end of the book and she says, well, this is how it's all going to end up. And she read out of Revelations about, you know, the, 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 um, gathered around God's throne is every tribe, nation and tongue, every, all taught people groups. And, and I love it at the end of the end of the picture how actually the heavenly Jerusalem comes and lands back in the earth. Because it's actually the earth that gets restored as the kingdoms finally come back together again, the earth and the heavens. They're just held in tension right now in the person of Jesus ruling and reigning. And then at the end of the end of the end, it is firmly restored to the earth and things are made all new. But at the end of the story, God is building a big family. And learning to be family can be quite the journey. I, you know, I've been at this thing for 48 years with my own family and, and I'm still learning how to do that with my family. When my brother, my older brother will do things to tick me off, uh, when my younger sister will call me on some of my attitudes, um, that's my sibling stuff. And then there's my marriage relationship. Been married for 27 years with Nick. And there's, we're still learning this thing how to do this together. You'd think by now we'd have it sorted. Uh, we haven't. We are learning about each other every day more and more. It's like, really? That's what you're thinking right now? Really? Is that what you think I'm thinking? <laughs> you know, all that sort of stuff. We've been, we've been hanging around each other for 27 years or 28 years in a lot of intimacy and a lot of communion and joint participation in life and contributing, but we're still learning. We have so much more to learn of each other. This kingdom family as a church family means we need to, um, we also need to, to grow in that area as well. And so, when it comes to the big story of God, this idea of being devoted to the fellowship of believers means that we all need to come to this with an understanding of our historical experience of family. Because let me tell you, that historical experience is going to want to try and tell you how this family should be, your kingdom family. And it, it will kick and scream at you the whole way because people won't behave like you want them to behave. People won't do it like you do in your family of origin. People will hold values and esteem things more loosely or highly than you may or may or may not do. The, being kingdom family together, and I think Bonhoeffer's right when he says it's grace. It's a grace from God. The fact that, you know, Derek would want to hang around a guy like me. It's a grace from God. It's a grace from God that we get to spend life with each other. It's not, it's not something we can orchestrate because if, if it was left up to us, and thank God it's not, but if it's left up to us, everyone in the room would look like you. <laughs> but thank God it's not like that because I'm, for most people that I spend time with, they can't stand being themselves and yet we want everyone to be like ourselves. God, have mercy on us. Help us, set us free from that, God, that we might come into the wonderful workmanship of God in Christ Jesus that we all actually are. So learning to do this as, as kingdom family means that we need to have a good grip and a good understanding of our historical family of origin stuff when it comes to family. And we need to have that so that we can be able to discern as the Spirit is being poured out 
what is me, what is my stuff, what is my junk, and what is God? And, 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 what, and you're also going to be able to bring to it your historical joy of family. You've also got to bring to it your historical grief of family. You've also got to bring to it your historical sense of life-giving experiences of family. And you also need to bring with you every part of that stuff where there has been death in your family. You've got to bring all of who you are. And yet, under the Holy Spirit, God does that. He brings all of this together. And through the revelation of Jesus, people come alive to this grace that they've been given in Christ to come into his kingdom and into his people, into his big kingdom family. Learning to trust Jesus is the key of living out from underneath the power of your historical family of origin and yet celebrating the stuff of Jesus that you do bring with your family of origin. There's a discernment process that needs to take place. Trusting Jesus and even trusting Jesus to the point where you're willing to exchange with Jesus what you think the kingdom family should look like and what he is actually doing when it comes to kingdom family. Trust is a big one. But that's the key that opens this door to family, kingdom family. Um, there's a couple of signposts, um, you know, this idea of devotion. Uh, let me, because the call of the kingdom comes to us. Oh, it keeps going twice. Um, the call of the kingdom comes to us. Let's get this straight. The very first thing that when the kingdom call comes to all of us and it falls upon our hearts as a people is first and foremost the call to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah, that he is alive and that he's ruling and reigning, that when the kingdom call falls upon us, the new life that awaits us is one of first and foremost devotion to Jesus. Devotion to Jesus. And from him to his people. And through him to the world. Paul writes it like this. God is faithful who has called you. Now, he's not saying you, the individual, in in Corinthians here. He's saying you, the church. He's saying who has called you, the people of King Jesus, into fellowship, koinonia, with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. First and foremost, this this is the first, this is what it means to be devoted. It means you are given to Jesus, first and foremost. Jesus is Lord and Messiah. He is King and Saviour. And today, as the Holy Spirit is being poured out on people all over the earth, right now there are people who that kingdom call is falling upon and their hearts are being called to be devoted to Jesus and partner 
with Jesus. Today is a right moment, let me tell you, folks, if you have never done that, if you have never given your devotion to Jesus, you'll give it to other stuff anyway. But if you've never given it to Jesus, I just want to let you know that the Holy Spirit is here today to welcome you giving your devotion to Jesus. He wants you to give your devotion to Jesus. And you can have a kingdom life both now and into the age to come. Um, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the great challenges um, that we have, or we've got many great challenges actually, to this whole idea of being devoted to the fellowship of believers. There's heaps and um, I've just listed a few here. Uh, let me see. Just, this, these are just a few of the cultural conditionings that we have to overcome on our way. Um, we live in a big geographical space here called Australia. And our challenge is to partner and contribute to what Jesus is doing in this big geographical space called Australia and even beyond Australia. Um, and to partner with him for the sake of the people of this nation. And we need to overcome what seems like cultural impossibilities. And there's plenty of them that will raise their heads. The first one is distance. <clears throat> I can't go all the way over there. <laughs> Sometimes it might be, I can't even go next door, let alone to the other side of the country. The first cultural conditioning that we have to overcome is the sense of distance because the kingdom of God is not a matter of distance. It's about relationship. Intimate relationship, communion, joint sharing of life, the common life. We have to, with the help of the Spirit, overcome that geographical distance. Sometimes we have to overcome the relational distance you know that person in the workplace that you kind of go, yeah, I don't mind working near you, but I can't work with you. You know that person? You know the people in this church that we do life with and we go, oh, it's all beautiful and we worship Jesus together and I like being near you, but I don't want to be with you. You know those people that you're sitting among? You know that attitude? Sometimes it's relational distance. Sometimes it's social distance. In other words, they, don't, they, they sort of live with you know, a different sphere of people than I'm living with. And I find that a bit hard to connect with. Sometimes it's racial or language-based. There's all sorts of cultural conditionings that want to put itself up as an impossibility to the fellowship of believers having their kingdom work in the earth. Transience is another one. People are always moving. Uh, when Nicole and I were pastoring in North Queensland, we pastored in the city of regional city of Townsville. And one of the big challenges that we had in Townsville was the fact that people generally, there was like this home base of people, of population that lived in Townsville, and then everyone else was there for a maximum of two to three years. So the population was constantly turning over. Constantly turning over. And it was very, very hard to form relationships with people because of that transient nature of the city. 
I mean, it was an army-based regional city, and it still is. Um, it's, it's sort of like the north post of a lot of government services for Queensland to the, to the north of, of our state. And so people are always, and, and even a lot of teachers would go to North Queensland to do their country service so they could get back to the city as they were coming out of university. It was always only going to be a step along the way. It was never going to be a home. And so there's this nature of transience, of always moving, that constantly our culture wants to present as an impossibility for the kingdom having its way and for koinonia, for fellowship, to actually be rooted and established into the earth through Jesus. Um, finding communion. One of the, uh, Recently, I, um, um, when we were in Townsville at the time, there was this young man that came to see uh, see me. He was 15 or 16 at the time, and um, he was just telling me all sorts of struggles that he was having with regards to um, his sexuality and his sexual drive and what to do with all of that as a young man. And so we just had this very honest conversation about all of that. I probably won't go into it here, but it was a very honest conversation about all of that between two blokes. And anyway, he he went on to become a um, uh, he 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 married a young, great young lady in town, um, you know, after, as he was sort of in university, and together they're followers of Jesus, and they go over overseas. Uh, he does another degree in um, I don't know some sort of theology or something or other and he does this degree and he plants a church and um, has this great church over there and anyway he's back in Australia now and they've got three great kids and anyway I hadn't had any contact with him in years I mean a long time 15 or so years and then he sends me this message and he sends me this message just to say hey Kirk I just just want to let you know how thankful I am to God for you when I was that young bloke and we had that conversation way back then. And I want to say that I think the way that you cared for me in that space actually freed me to follow Jesus to where I am right now. And I want to give thanks to God and I want to give thanks to you. Transience, distance. I mean, the kingdom pushed all of that aside and had its way. And this guy and his family, uh, they're, you know, they're pastoring churches and they're doing just a wonderful job of extending the kingdom of God in our country. Transience is no barrier. Distance is no barrier. Independence is no barrier. We are a fiercely rugged, independent people. Um, to want to live in a country like ours with such big space, it, re- it requires a bunch of that tenacity. And that's a wonderful strength. But it's also a heel because it, what it really means is, yeah, we can do this, I can do this with you, but I don't really need you. <laughs> that, that, that's a cultural conditioning that's, that's at work and it actually gets fueled by, uh, by spiritual darkness as well because, because what it stops us from doing is actually entrusting ourselves to each other, to really trusting, like letting go trusting ourselves to be with the people that God has seen fit by his spirit to bring around us. Can I really trust them? And so God wants to take, t- 
take on that independent streak that is in us as a people, and he wants to bring his kingdom to that. He wants to establish koinonia in the thick of that. That's so good. I love that. And the, the last one is, is consumerism. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there's nothing that stops us from going and buying whatever we want these days, where, where, wherever we want it, and, you know, pick and choose. Let me quickly read to you a little bit out of a book that I've been enjoying while I've been doing my gardening this week. It's written by um, Ruth Haley Barton. And the paragraph is entitled, Living Beyond Isolation. I went, ooh, that's, that's speaking into who we are as a nation, isolation. This is what she says. Early in our life together, she's talking about the community that she's a part of and that she helps lead. Early, early in our life together, our community had the privilege of retreating to a Benedictine monastery and listening to one of the brothers who'd been a priest in this religious community for 50 years talk about his life as a monk. Specifically, we asked him, what has enabled this group of brothers to stay together in a community for so long and how might we do the same in our community? One of the first things he talked about was their commitment to stability. And with penetrating eyes and surety of speech, he told us in no uncertain terms to, quote, Pick a community and stay with it. Pick a path and stay on it. End quote. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Just pick one and get on it and get about it. There'll be plenty of others that'll come along and say, get on this one. This one will be better. Try that one. Be on the one that God says, now be on this. I've called you to it because I first called you to myself, Jesus, that is, now follow me. She says, Haley Barton says, Ruth Haley Barton says, I've never forgotten his statement because it was so different from my own way of life that has been shaped. He, she says, we Protestant Christians, we do not have a context for this kind of commitment and stability. We shop for community like we shop for a new house or a new car and Picking a community and staying with it completely goes against our consumer mindset. Well, if you don't like this one, that's all right. There's another one. Just pick that one. Buy that one. For those of us our job out in the church, our job... Oh, hang on. I'm just going to leave it there. Picking a community and staying with it goes against our consumer mindset. Consumerism. They're, look, they're just four... They're just four things that I just quickly punched out as these are cultural conditionings that want to say koinonia can't happen. But I want to ask the question is, how is the Spirit calling you in this season of your life in God to greater devotion? Because that's what it looks like when the Spirit is being poured out. Greater devotion. Look at the fruit in Acts 2. 
There was awe. Why was there awe? Because God was there. There was wonders and miraculous signs. There was a shared life. There was selling of possessions and goods. There was financial generosity. There was gathering and scattering. There was eating. There was gladness of heart. God provided. There was favor and there was kingdom expansion. My question, again, how is God calling you in this season of your life in him to greater devotion? And I, let me tell you, to go there is to sacrifice. To go there is to sacrifice. To go into that place of greater devotion is to sacrifice. Well, what do you mean, Kirk? When Nicole and I were sitting out the back this week, having chats while we're digging gardens and um, trying to pot plants, and we're not real good at that, but we have a go at it every year. And then we water them again the ne- this time next year and wonder why they're not living. <laughs> Uh, but we were having a chat about this idea of devotion and what it looks like in this season for our life. And we just sat there and we just went, what is this costing us to follow Jesus? And we quickly figured out that this, this 12 months uh, coming up in October, from October to October, that 12-month period... Um, I will have personally, now just, I'm not using me as an illustration to say be like me. I'm just saying this is my story. So get that. Got it? There's nothing glorious about this other than Jesus is Lord. Got it? Good. Just to give you a small picture, but I personally will, in this 12-month period, take 45 flights around Australia to conquer the spirit of isolation to establish koinonia in a group of people across this country. What does that cost me? Well, it costs me time with my family. It costs me time with you. It costs me sleep in my own bed that I would prefer rather than sleeping in other people's homes. It costs me not being able to maintain the sense of diet and health that I would like to because I'm always eating on the run. It, it, it means I have to, and it just doesn't cost me, it costs my family. Can you pick me up from the airport? Can you drop me to the airport? Can you, I can't be at that for our kids because I have to go and do this. I can't, it costs, it doesn't just cost me, it doesn't just cost my relationship with Nicole, it doesn't just cost my family, my, with my children, it costs me with you as well. It costs on every level when you say, Jesus, use me. Because devotion is what manifests under the spirit being poured out on a person's life. Devotion to the establishment of the fellowship of believers in the earth as God is moving. What is he asking of you in this season? The Holy Spirit is moving in this season and he is inviting you and me to live the different story, the one that our cultural conditioning yields to because we're living the story of the kingdom of God where there is no distance, there is no thing, 
there is no relationship, there is no sense of transience or fierce independence that gets in the way of Jesus being Lord and Saviour of all. The Holy Spirit is moving and he is inviting us into greater and greater koinonia. Um, This is a favourite little scripture of mine that the Lord's been speaking to me about all year and he's really pressing in on it. Psalm 68 verse 6, God sets the lonely into families. Now that, that word families there actually also means a homeland. God establishes people into family, kingdom family, kingdom homeland. And he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. The one thing I know about flying backward and forward over this country a bunch in the space of 12 months, it's pretty sun-scorched. <laughs> I think New South Wales is in its biggest drought right now in history. I mean, it's crazy, crazy. Sun-scorched land. I think there's a bunch of rebellion wrapped around all of that for some crazy reason. But God is inviting his people to actually partner with him in establishing those who are living isolated, rebellious, transient, consumeristic, independent lives into the better story of the kingdom of God. The better story, and make no doubt, it is a better story. Why is it better? Because Jesus rose from the dead and that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. Finally, Basil, one of the early church fathers, he said this, when we live in isolation, what we have is unavailable and what we lack is unprocurable. In other words, we can't get it because we live in isolation. Here endeth the sermon here endeth the sermon. Um, let's <clears throat> let's stand and pray.